All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, it's good to see everyone in the house, man. So thankful for our Faith Church family. It's good to see you here in Florence. Can we welcome our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg? It's good to have you guys. And to all of our VIPs, if this is your first time here or in Lawrenceburg or watching online, we just want to say welcome. It's great to have you guys here. We say this every week that Jesus is the hope of the world, which means, again, whatever you're going through, whatever your challenge, whatever discouragement battle opportunity is ahead of you or that you're in, man, we believe that if you'll give Jesus an opportunity and invite him into your life, it'll be the greatest thing that you've ever done. How many people already know that's true? Come on. So today we're launching a brand new series entitled On Time. Everybody say On Time. Obviously, in the series on time, we're going to tackle the topic of time and how we manage time and how we work through time. Because here's what I know for so many of us in this room, man, time is just slipping by, right? A lot of us, we have no strategy, we have no plan. Life is just happening. We're just going with it, we're going with the flow. A lot of us, when we get like through a day, like we don't wake up and tackle our day, we feel like by the end of the day, our day tackled us. And so I just feel like at some point that time, even though it goes by so quickly, it's a gift. It's something that God's put into all of us, and he calls us to manage well. And if we'll manage it well, we can live well. And so for the next few weeks, I just want to tackle the topic of time. But today, today, really, I think we're going to dig in deep. And here's here's what I want you to get to is that it's only a matter of time before you realize how much time matters. Now, that's true for all of us in this room. Now, again, typically, this is a generational thing, which means the older you are, the more you realize how important time is. But I want you to know, regardless of how old you are, whether you're a teenager or whether you're up into your 80s, that time is a valuable resource. And we need to make sure that we understand how significant, again, that it is so we can have the life that God wants us to have. And so as we jump in, I want to look at one of the Psalms found in the Old Testament, When we think of the book of Psalms, as far as who wrote them, most of us think of who? David. David was one of the primary authors of many of the Psalms. The book of Psalms is a book, it's a a, um, collection of songs that were written, songs that included prayers, songs about who God is, about how God was faithful. And many of the Psalms were written by David, but there actually are several other authors One of the authors is this guy by the name of Moses, who was all the way back in Exodus. He was the guy that God used to bring the nation of Israel out of bondage that was in Egypt into the promised land. And Moses wrote one psalm, and it's the psalm we're going to look at today, and we're just going to hone down into one verse. And here's what David said. David said this in Psalm 90, verse 12. I want everybody here, come on, read this out loud. He says, teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Come on, one more time. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, I want you to notice this when, again, this is Moses, and basically he's praying this prayer to God, and he says, God, hey, teach us to number our days. Now, when you're talking about being taught something, for many of us in this room, what I'm going to cover is not really new information. In fact, if you've ever read a book on time management, you've ever taken a class, a continuing education class on time management, if you've read some blogs on time management, Like, this is not really going to be new information. But while it's not new information, it's still important information. And important information from time to time, we just need reminders on, don't we? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I have have three kids, two are young adults now, but my son is 16, and we continually as parents, like many of you as parents, we continue to remind our kids daily of the things that are important. So like, like as they're going to bed or they're going out the door or whatever, like we kind of always shout the same stuff. Not that they don't know. It's not new information. It's just important reminders. And we'll say things like this, you know, hey, do your devotions, 
pay your tithe. Like if they're going to get in their car, we always say this, hey, drive careful and wear your... Like they know that. So again, it's not new information. It's just a way to remind them of something really important. So today, as we tackle the topic of time, I want you to know that on one hand, this may not be new information, but it's still important information that we need to hone in on. And if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, you're not really sure about faith yet, you're not, you've not got it all figured out, I want you to know that this still pertains to you because you still have time and you still need to figure out how to manage it. But if you're here and you're a Christ follower, this is really important information to help us, to, again, to have the life that God wants us to have. And so he says this, he says, Lord, teach us to number our days. So while it's not new information, it comes from a new perspective. Because he's not reading from a John Maxwell book on leadership and time management. Like, he's getting God's perspective on time. And so I just want you to know that there's something for all of us to learn, no matter how much you already know about time or time management. There is something for us to learn today because we're getting it from a brand new perspective. So I just want you to know, class in session, and in 33 minutes, class dismissed. We're going to learn about time management today. But he says this, he says, Lord, teach us to number our days when he says number our days, uh, think about this. This is something that we intuitively do anyways. We talk about numbering our days. We do this all the time. In fact, we do it around Christmas time. Like I'm, I'm going to be probably the first one that you hear this from in 2020. Just heads up, 299 days left until Christmas. <laughs> Better get on it. Now, again, it's but we do think that way. We think, oh, no, 50 days until Christmas, 20 days until Christmas, five days until Christmas. So we are used to, as a people, numbering our days. We just don't number our days until Christmas. Some of us in this room, we're numbering our days until spring break. We're numbering our days until summer vacation. We have some weddings that are going to happen here in the next few months with some of our faith family. Some of you are numbering your days until you're married. So we are used to numbering our days. But what what, what Moses is praying and what he's asking God, and he understands God wants us to do, he says, Lord, teach us to number our days. When he says, teach us to number our days, what he's praying for is that we'll understand when we say number our days, mean to understand that our days are numbered. So while we always try to figure out how many days until Christmas, how many days until the vacation, here's the question you need to wrestle with, how many days until you're done on planet Earth? See, that's not something we wrestle with, it's not something we know, but... Unfortunately, because we live in a life where life happens, death happens, tragedy happens, sickness happens, things just happen, like some of us in this room, we're not going to be here in a year. We're not going to be. Now, we may not know when the end is, but what, what Moses is praying God about is like, God, help us to understand. Help me, help me to number my days, which here's, here's his prayer, and this is my prayer for you. Moses is saying, God, help me to live with an awareness of how brief life is and how valuable time is. God, help me to understand, man, it's, life is so brief. It's over in a minute. And God, help me to understand that this resource, help me to number my days that every one of them, I understand, has value and is important. Now, when we talk about life being brief, all of us in this room, we, come on, does anybody in this room know life is brief? Like, it flies by. It, it ticks. It sets a fast pace. And it feels like the older you get, the faster it goes. Like Prince, the great philosopher, he said this, right? <laughs> He said, they say 2000-0-0, party over, it's out of time, but tonight I'm going to party like it's... Ooh, come on, somebody. Woo, it felt good, didn't it? Be honest. Think about this. That song off of Purple Rain came out in 1982. 
And I remember singing that song as a teenager, looking forward. 1999 felt like it was 100 years away. Now, 1999, we've already passed it by 21 years. Holy cow. Think about one of the greatest movie franchises of all time, Back to the Future. The number one movie, in my estimation, was the second one, Back to the Future Part 2. Back to the Future Part 2 took place. It was recorded in 1989, and it looked forward to a time of 2015 when they would have hoverboards. Anybody else disappointed they didn't come up with a hoverboard yet? It was crazy as you watched that movie. I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, we're going to get us one, girl. <laughs> I like interaction. So, but I remember watching that movie, and you think sitting in a theater... 1989, you're looking forward to 2015. That seemed like for that seemed like light years away. And now here we are, and we're five years past that. Come on, time. Listen, listen, listen. It is 2020, y'all. We are in March already of 2020. Like time just keeps on scooting by. And so in the middle of this conversation on how life brief is, on how brief life is, it that again, Moses is praying, Lord, teach us to number our days. Help us, help us to really keep a consistent handle on how fast time goes by. David, he chimes in on this conversation in Psalm 39. He says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, this is depressing. At best, each of us is but a breath. He's saying time, time is so brief, it goes by so fast. Like I would equate how fast time goes by to breaking a hondo. Anybody remember breaking your first $100 bill as a kid? Like you got a $100 bill, it's in your pocket, and like you go to the mall with like three or four friends, and you finally break it, and the next thing you know, it's the end of your day, you reach in your pocket, and you got like a crumpled dollar bill, two pennies, and some pocket lint. And you're like, where did it go? And it's like... You, it just feels like it just disappeared. Like some of you are going to get to the end of your life and your time has been spent. You're going to have a few crumpled minutes left over in some pocket lint. You're going to be saying, where did it all go? What God is saying is that he wants us to live a life now of anticipation of what's to come, rather waiting until the end to look backwards at a life of anguish because we miss maximizing the time God gave us. Everybody shout on time. So we get it. We know it's brief. We know time is brief. But again, what, what, what Moses is asking for, and I believe what God wants us to hear, is not just how brief life is, but how valuable time is. And so when we say value, when you read earlier in, in the psalm that Moses write, wrote, he actually starts it by this way. He acknowledges who God is, and he calls God the God of, he, he says it this way. He said, you're, basically, you're the, you're the God of eternity past, and you're the God of eternity future. You are from everlasting to everlasting. John mimics this in the book of Revelation, talking about who God is when he says, when he says, God, you're the alpha and the omega, you're the beginning and the end. And basically the thought he's trying to capture in the value of time is again, God, I'm getting, I'm getting the value of time from your perspective. Well, what can we learn from a God of eternity? Like we live, our life is so brief. 
What God is saying is from my perspective in eternity, I've always been and I'll always be. And why my, how long I've been to how long you're going to be is just a breath. It's just here for a minute. But what he's saying is if you'll understand that in the few moments you have in eternity, you can impact eternity if you'll use your minutes well. Understand that there is significance in the brevity of your life. It really is valuable. So while time flies, you're the pilot. While you can't stop time, you can steer time. And while we only live once, if you live it well, once is enough. We got to understand again that life, that life is brief and time is valuable. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, he chimes in on this conversation. So we got Moses chiming in and we got David chiming in. And the Apostle Paul, he digs in a little deeper on the value of time. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 15 through 17, he kind of takes us, especially as Christ followers, and here's, here's our call. He says this. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I could have read this from some other translations, but I love really the wording he uses here. First of all, he says this. He says, if, if you're a Christ follower, he says, here's, here's your call. Here's what we're called to do. He said, I want you to walk circumspectly. What does that mean? To walk circumspectly, when you read in the New Testament, anytime you read the word walk, it's not talking about putting one foot in front of the other. To walk something out means this is a lifestyle. It's not one or done. It's a cumulative effect of a life, which means you keep on doing something to get a certain output. So God's word, for example, he calls us, God calls us to walk in the light to walk in honesty, to walk in the spirit, to walk by faith. What he's saying is live a life that way, like keep doing that way. And a lot of us, unfortunately, we are one and done type people. Here's what I mean. Like anybody ever decide you're going to the gym and you finally decide to go and like, you're like this, I'm, oh, I'm going to shred it. And like you get into the gym for the first time in like eight years, like your gym shorts don't even fit no more. And like you get in and like, you're like, like, I don't know, but like, I race people. If I see somebody else, I'm like, oh, you ain't beating me. What? And like, you're rolling sweat, and you finally get done 29 minutes later, and you've burnt like 17 calories. That's like, that's not even the stuffing in one Oreo cookie. But then you're like, oh, I did it. I went to the gym, and you didn't, you didn't eat dessert that day, and you get on the scale the next morning, and you didn't lose anything. You're like, I, I quit. Well, nobody loses weight that way. It's, 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 you got to walk a health journey out. It's a cumulative effect of being consistent. It's like, you know, the stock market has not been good this past week, but it's it, it kind of this idea of walking out a lifestyle as opposed to a one-time event is, is about your retirement. Like y'all are going to retire. Every one of us in this, in this room, if God allows us to get to that place in life, we're going to retire. You better have money waiting for you. And I don't know anybody that can just drop a million you know, at retirement, if, if I don't know you, and you can, we should be friends. But, <laughs> but most of us, what, what is he talking about? He, like, in order to do it, we got to walk out retirement, which means if we are steady and consistent of putting money, putting money aside through the powerful accumulation and multiplication of interest and compounding interest, when we get to the end, if you are slow, steady, and faithful, you'll have a good retirement. So he's saying walk. Everybody shout walk. So he's like, he's like, get this idea. We're talking about you doing this thing on a regular basis. And he says, do what? Walk circumspectly. What in the world does that mean? It's not a word we use. What he's talking about when he says walk circumspectly, he's saying, I want you as you live life to get the big picture. 
get the big picture was something that I was told in when I learned how to drive in high school. Anybody do like the driver's ed in high school? Like, I don't know how much those teachers get paid, but it is not enough because they put their life on the line every time. And, but I remember reading it in the manual, and I remember my driving instructor saying, like, when you drive, because new drivers tend to focus on just what's in front of them. Like, all they're focused on is, like, the car right in front of you. And as an experienced driver, what they're trying to teach you is you need to get the big picture. You need to look in your rear view. You need to look in your side view. And you need to not, not look right. You need to look way down the road at what's coming. Get the big picture. I remember, I remember driving like my instructor a couple times, not getting the big picture. Like if I'm coming up too fast on a car that stopped and I didn't see it, he'd be like, big picture, big picture, big picture. You know, it's like, so here's what I came to tell you today. Big picture, big picture, big picture. Walk, watch, watch. Live your life with the big picture. Don't just look at what's coming up right in front of you. Don't just number your days. Know your days are numbered. And understand, listen, take your cues from Christ. What does God say about your scenario and your situation? What do wise friends, like look at friends that are living life the way you want to live it. Take your cues from them and take the big picture. And he says, as you live your life with the big picture, not as foolish people, but as wise, what he's saying is when you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, you're, you're, not, you're not making a mistake. You're a fool. Wisdom is knowing what to do and being a fool is not doing it. So as you hear what God has to say about time and you choose to walk out of this room and not do it, God's saying you're a, well, not you, but the person next to you. <laughs> then he says this, watch. So walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Get the big picture in life and live intentionally, live consistently. And here's what we're called to do. Watch this, this is powerful. And he calls us to redeem the time. Redeem the time. What in the world does redeem mean? Redeem is this really powerful word. And again, I could have used some other translations, but I love this phrase. Redeem is this idea of possession through payment and giving somebody a new purpose. And so think about this, like, and I think this trend is kind of wearing off, but several years ago, there was this huge trend in our country where people were, they were finding old furniture. Like you'd go to a yard sale and you'd find this old furniture that someone else like put on the curb five years ago, now people are selling it for like $300. And what are they doing? Like they're repurposing it. I don't know if any other men are this way. Men, this has nothing to do with the message. But anybody else, when your wife makes a bad financial decision, it's your money. And when you agree with the decision, it's our money. Yeah, I don't ever tell my wife that out loud, but I think that. Like, what did you do with my money? Relationship goals. Go back and listen to last week. So... So my wife, she did, so she found what she did was she purchased, she purchased this buffet, she purchased this piece of furniture, and she totally refinished it and redid it and repainted it, and now it's a beautiful piece of furniture. What did she do was she redeemed it. She took something that was lost, and she gave it new life. I want you to know today that Jesus himself, he is the great redeemer. He's taken broken, sinful people. He purchased us with his sacrifice on the cross with his blood, and he's given us a brand new purpose as his children. He's given us life and meaning and hope and vibe. Come on, anybody here know that Jesus is a redeemer, which means I don't care what people say about who I am. You may not see my value, but as far as God is concerned, I was worth the life of his son, Jesus, and that gives me value. I've been redeemed, and redeemed people are called to redeem. So when Paul says, hey, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeem time, he's saying, I want you, because you've been redeemed, you should redeem stuff. 
which means our job as Christ followers are to bring redemption to this world. We're called to redeem anything God's put in our care. We're called to give it a purpose, which means your money should have a mission. Like, I'm not just, like, we just don't cash our check and put it wherever it goes, and we don't know where it went, and we get to the end week, and where did my money go? No, I'm just telling you, God calls us to be a tither, which means the first and the best. It's not mine. It belongs to God. I, before I do anything else, I pay my tithe. God calls me to be generous. We need to make sure that we're paying our bills on time. We need to make sure that we are out of debt. Come on, somebody. Listen, God's word says that the, that the borrower is servant to the lender, so God, I'm going to give my money a mission. It's going gonna, it's gonna to accomplish things for the kingdom. It's going to get me out of debt. It's going to set me up for a life of freedom. Come on. God wants you to redeem your money. God wants us to redeem our words. Think about how many words all of us use in the average day. And oftentimes, at least in my life, my words are sarcastic and snarky. And I can find my, my words being mean-spirited. And as a Christ follower, my call in your car call is to redeem our words, which means give your words a purpose. Jesus said, for every idle word a man speaks, he's going to come into judgment. What God is saying is you need to put your words to work. So instead of tearing people down, I'm going to build people up. I'm going to redeem my words. I'm going to give them a purpose. We're to redeem situations. When you walk into a situation and it's not a healthy situation or you walk into a situation where somebody's being bullied, like don't stand there in silence. Interject yourself into that situation. Stand up for somebody that's weak and listen, make sure that you take yourself you insert it and you redeem that situation. So we're called to redeem money, redeem words, redeem situations. And Paul here says we are called to redeem what? Time. See then that you walk circumspectly. Live your life consistently in an accumulative fashion where you're paying attention to the cues you're getting from Christ and start redeeming stuff, specifically here, time. Now when he says time, you got to dig a little deeper to understand really what he's saying. Again, most of you all know this, but again, the New Testament, the original manuscripts were written in Greek. They weren't written in English. And so the original manuscripts that the authors wrote of the books in the New Testament have been translated in languages all over the world. And so for us, when we read the word time, we got to kind of dig in a little bit and find out that there were actually several words in the Greek language for time and when you understand the difference, you'll understand really what Paul was communicating. So just like class and session right here, there are two primary words used in the New Testament for time. The Greek words, here they are, and I'm going to help you sound smart to your friends, is chronos and kairos. Everybody say those, chronos and kairos. Let me tell you the difference. Chronos is a calendar event. Kairos uh, or chronos is, is like a calendar day, and, 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 and kairos is like an event day. So uh, chronos is like minutes, seconds, months. Kairos is events, seasons, moments. So here's the difference. So February 10th of 2020, just a few weeks ago, chronos, that was just a calendar day. It was on all of our calendars, but that was the day my son turned 16. He went and got his driver's license. And so for him, come on, somebody, that's a Kairos moment. Like, that's the day he got his driver's license. That's a Kairos moment for him. It was just Kronos for the rest of us. Um, today is March 1st, 2020, which is just a Kronos day. It's just a calendar day. But for some of you, God's going to transform your life by this message. Some of you are going to walk out born again, children. This is your Kairos moment. That's the day Jesus changed my life. 
Come on. This is March. I don't know if anybody's any, any, any NCAA fans for basketball. It's just the month of March. March is just a chronos. It's just a month. But for NCAA basketball fans, come on, it's March madness. It's a Kairos moment, baby. It's a season of basketball. Are y'all tracking what I'm telling you? And so here's what the apostle Paul is saying here when he says, listen, I want you to redeem the time. His call is, is that we're to make sure that we look and not just in the minutes, but we're looking for the moments. Redeeming time is our mission to make moments out of minutes. God has given every one of us in this room minutes in life, but what defines your life isn't the minutes you have. It's the moments you make. Come on. If there's anybody that understood the difference between minutes and moments, it was Moses. Moses who wrote, God, teach me to number my days so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. If anybody understood the difference between minutes and moments, it was Moses, and here's why. Moses, according to Scripture, lived to be 120 years old, which quick math will tell you, he lived 63 million minutes. But the life of Moses was not defined by 63 million minutes. The life of Moses was defined by several strategic moments in his life. For example, Moses, when he kind of got ahead of God and got outside of God's calendar, he killed an Egyptian taskmaster. And in that one moment, that one moment of killing somebody cost him the next 40 years of his life. You fast forward and he had one moment. It was called the burning bush moment where he stepped into the presence of God and he discovered who he was and he discovered God's plan for his life. And all of a sudden that one moment in God's presence, it put a trajectory for the next 40 years of his life. Another moment was he lost his temper in the wilderness while he was leading God's people and he struck the rock and it cost him getting into the promised land. There was a man who had 63 million minutes, but it was three defining moments that tells us who he was. It's not about the minutes of your life. It's about the moments. God gives every single one of us in this room. God hands you minutes and God calls us to make moments and life is made of the moments. Redeem the time. Make moments from every minute that God puts in our hands. And then he says this, Ephesians 5, 17, therefore, if you'll walk circumspectly, not as foolish people, but as wise people. And if you'll redeem time, he says this, watch. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I'm about you, but one of my favorite topics, and for sure one of the easiest topics for me to talk about is God's purpose for our life. Like, I love the thought. Anybody else love the thought that God thinks about you, that God has a purpose for your life, that like, we don't have to have nihilistic thinking. Like, we can just know that we're here for a reason. God created us. Anybody thankful for that? Like, I'm not, listen, I'm not, a, I'm not a speck of dust on a planet in the middle of a large solar system, middle of a large galaxy, in the middle of a limitless universe. Like, like I matter. But here's the crazy thing I found out about the purpose of God for many of us in this room is when you talk about the purpose of God, most people want it, but we tend to think that it's just going to magically happen. Like you're just going to stumble into the purpose of God. Like one day you're going to wake up and you're like, oh, I'm in the purpose of God. And that's not the case. Paul is saying if you will redeem time, that's how you're going to demonstrate what God's will is, what God's purpose is for your life. Which means if you're taking notes, if you want to experience God's purpose for your life, you have to execute God's plans in your life. Come on, if you want to be the person God called and created you to be, that means start walking out the plans for your money. Start walking out the plans for your time. Start walking out the plans for your words. Like if you'll execute God's plans for your stuff, you'll begin walking in the purpose that God has for your life. Come on, everybody shout on time. On time, use your time to mine moments out of minutes. 
And if you don't make time your tool, time will make you its fool. If you don't make time your tool, time will make you its fool, which means you'll have wasted a life of minutes flashing by you, and you'll get to the end of your life with anguish and regret rather than making time your tool to maximize minutes and the moments and be the person God's called you to be, to step into opportunities, to ask somebody, do you want to go on a date? To say I do, to step into a new career opportunity, to go next door and talk to that neighbor. Like whatever it is God's called you to do, God says like it's in those moments where your life is really measured. So a couple of things I want to give you as we talk about like how to do this, two things. Number one, if you're going to mine the moments out of minutes, number one, you got to turn your wins into now. Your wins. And when I say your wins, a lot of us, including myself, sometimes I find myself guilty of living in this paradigm of, of when then. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, when this happens, then I'll do that. You know, when I get through with this, then I'll do that. When I, when, when I, when I make enough money, then I'll tithe. When I get the promotion, then I'll spend more time at home. You know, like when and then, when, when I get married, then I'll be happy, when then. And what we're doing is we're punting, we're punting on the moments God intended us to live. We're waiting, we're saying, well, I'll do it later, I'll take care of it down the road. Here's the problem with that. Not only does Moses chime in on time, and, and David and Paul, James, the brother of Jesus, he jumps in on this conversation and listen to what he says, especially if you're here and you are one of the when then person, I'll do it later, I'll do it another time. Here's what, here's what James says. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's inspiring, isn't it? He's saying, unfortunately, way too many people live, way too many people live with presumption and way too many people live with procrastination. Presumption is this idea, well, I'll do it later. I'll just get to it tomorrow. I'll call them another time. I'll go spend time with them another time. I'll hang out with my friend. I'll call them. I'll witness to that person. I'll get on a serve team. I'll join a small, like I'll do it. I'm kind of busy right now. Like I'll do it later. And the difference between procrastination and presumption, procrastination is deciding to do it later. Presumption is deciding that you think you can do it later. And James is saying, if you think you can do it later, you're fooling yourself because tomorrow isn't promised on anybody's calendar. So if you're punting and saying, I'm going to do it later, you're going to miss an opportunity because that opportunity that you're waiting for may never come. And you might experience minutes, but you'll miss moments. And he's saying, and this is, this is worse because I can procrastinate some. We got any procrastinators in the house? There's more of you, but you're going to wait and raise your hand later. <laughs> Get it? Because I, pro, never mind. Anyways. <laughs> So we're procrastinating. I, I'm, I can be a procrastinator. Like, we put things off. Did you know procrastination is one of the worst thieves? Because it'll rob you twice. When you procrastinate, it robs you from the moment you were supposed to redeem because you punted and said, I'll do it later. So when you finally do the thing that you said you were going to do before and you finally do it, now you miss the thing you should have been doing and you get robbed again. And so procrastination, and a lot of us in this room, come on, we procrastinate at work, like we're at work, but we're not really working. Like we're kind of getting some work done, but we're also on Facebook and we're also texting. Like some of you guys, like some of you guys text me in the middle of the week, like I'm working and you guys are texting me. I'm like, what are these guys doing? Don't they have a job? 
You're not going to text me now. Come on. I'm just saying, like, we're at work, but we're not really at work. We're in class, but we're not really doing any schoolwork. Like, we're in, and we're procrastinating because we're we're just going to do it later. I'm telling you, we got to get out of the mode of procrastination. We got to change the way we're living if we're going to maximize moments. When when you're not disciplined on the clock, we have to work around the clock. When you're not really at work, you still have work to do, which means when you get home, now you're working at home and you're robbing family time. Listen, work at work. Maximize your moments at work. Maximize your moments in the classroom. Maximize the moments where God's put you, that'll free you up to be where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing later. Maximize those moments. Turn those if wins into now. Everybody shout now. Now. So here's the question. What is it that you need to stop putting off? If you're not mentally thinking of something, maybe write something down. What is it that you've been putting off? What is it that you've been punting on? What is it you've been saying, no, I'll do it later? And you know, man, it's with the heart of wisdom, like that's what, that's what wise people do. Like that's the best thing to do. What shift do you need to make with your minutes to get moments? Second thing, not just turn your wins into now. Number two, turn your decisions into disciplines. Oh, come on, somebody. Woo! That's good, Pastor Steve. Because I'm just like you guys, like, in fact, I get a preview. I know what I'm going to preach months out. And so I'm always excited. I'm excited for the next series, and I'm excited for the next message, and I spend all week on the message. And so, like, I'm, I'm amped up, and then you guys get here, and some of you guys are fired up, and go ahead, pastor, and that's good, and you're writing stuff down, and you're applauding, and, like, you're excited for the message. You're excited for the message. Yeah. Applause. Yeah. Applause. I need approval, <laughs> right? I mean, and so, but, but come on, I'm the same way you are, and you clap, and you applaud, and you write things down, and you think, hmm, that's good, and then we pray a prayer, and you go, and you don't do anything with it. We're hearers of the word, and we're not doers of it. Listen, I live, listen, some of you guys, people in your life, you live with, they go to church with you, and they'll tell you things like this. You need to do what Pastor Steve says. Listen, I live with the wife that looks at me and says, what did you say Sunday? What did you preach about Sunday? Come on, you want to talk about something that stings. <laughs> Keep laughing. God will call your spouse into preaching. See how you like it. So here's what I'm trying to tell you is, is at some point, we got to quit just making decisions like that's good. I, like if you're going to live this out, if I'm going to live this out, I'm telling you, I'm convicted by this message like, God, you, got mo- you brought me here for a purpose. You have moments for me to redeem, but I got to quit letting the minutes pass by, and I got to mine moments out of them. I got to make some disciplines in my life. And so here's what I want to tell you is that in this room, watching online, there is some equality that exists. We find inequality in color. We find inequality in income. We find inequality in levels of education. We find inequality, race, color, creed. And so we're just like, we're not all on the same starting line. And while you may or may not be able to do something about some of those areas, here's what I know is true. We all have, regardless of race, color, creed, religion, income, we all have 1,440 minutes every day. Time is the great equalizer. We all get the same amount. 
And so you got to decide what you're going to do with it, but you got to decide, I'm going to be disciplined with the, what God's given me. God, teach me to number my days. Help me to understand my days are numbered. So help me to suck and drain every bit of life out of them that I can have the life you want for me. The problem is, right, the problem is we often overinvest in things that underperform. We're putting the bulk of our time in things that don't matter. Well, you ain't got to say amen. I got the stats right here to prove it. 10 hours per week is how much time the average person spends on Netflix. It's 22 days a year. Don't email me. I don't need it. Pastor, I don't watch Netflix. I know you're on Hulu, whatever. You say potato, I say potato. I don't really because that's weird. Nobody says potato. But think about that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with TV. I'm not saying stop watching it. Like everybody knows I can watch Breaking Bad just one more time. He was just break it back. Five point four hours a day the average American spends on their phone. Now I get it. Don't email me. I got it. We use I use my phone strategically. I'm on texting people, checking on people giving assignments to my staff. I check my email because there's business emails and things I have to deal with. But I'm going to be honest. I blow time on Facebook. I waste time on Instagram. I watch a YouTube video that goes into another YouTube video that goes into another YouTube. There's this video, this guy, Lord, I, forgive me. I'm tempting you and I'm trying to help you. Crazy Russian. He's just, it's just a cool, this guy is awesome to watch. But I'm like eight videos in, and I'm like, where did the last hour go? Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you, God gives us time, and time is going by because we're killing time. We're wasting time instead of redeeming time. Here's my own confession. Don't judge me for this, please. I don't even care if you do. If you judge me, I'm going to judge you back. My platform's bigger. <laughs> Most of you know, I've said this before, I'm a gamer. I like to game. Pastor Blaster 36, that's my screen name. Come find me. And so... So I play one game. That's all I play. One game, Black Ops 4. It's a first-person shooter. Don't shake your head at me. I can see you like. <laughs> I'm just telling you, like, life is stressful. It's challenging. And so when I get home sometimes, my wife's like, how was your day? And I'm like, I just got to shoot some digital people. <laughs> That's it. If I don't shoot some digital people, it's going to go bad. And so I'll get on Black Ops 4 a couple days a week, a couple hours every time I'm on. And I just don't play... So it's, it's therapeutic for me. I play with some friends. So I'm, I won't tell you who the friends are. I won't tell you one's Pastor Ryan or the other's Pastor Mitch. I won't tell you that because I don't want to throw them under the bus. <laughs> but I'm just telling you. So here's, this is a true confession. So I enjoy it. It's therapeutic. Hang out with friends. It has this very dangerous feature on the game where you can find a setting and it'll tell you exactly how long you've played that game. And in about two years, I've played this game for about five and a half days of my life. Now, I don't think God has a problem with me playing a game. I don't think God has a problem with me playing PlayStation 4. I don't think God has an issue with me chatting with friends. If I'm just real honest, I think God has a problem that I've spent six days of my life on a game. I think if you're honest, nothing wrong with Netflix, nothing wrong with entertainment, nothing wrong with a laugh, nothing wrong with watching a movie or a show with your family, your wife, your spouse, your kids, 10 hours a week, a bit excessive. Nothing wrong with technology. It's great to have a phone and text people and email people and handle business. Nothing wrong. I think God might have a problem with the minutes that he's given us that we're blowing. 
What would happen if we took, if we took the time he gave us and we reinvested it? Here's a couple things that I found. Malcolm Gladwell, who's a, who's a pretty good author. I've read only two of his books. I don't know how many books he has, but one of his books, Outliers, he says this. Malcolm Gladwell says the average person can become an expert in any subject if they will practice that for 10,000 hours. I know that's a long time, but that's 400 days. As opposed to the 22 days a year that you're spending on Netflix and the 80 days a year I'm spending on my phone. Let's break it down, maybe something a little more that we can get our arms around. The average person can become proficient in a language in 480 hours, in 20 days. If you'll take the next year and turn off Netflix and learn a language, learn a second language, you can learn a language in less time than you spend on Netflix in one year. Let me give you one that's a little more practical. A degree, a bachelor's degree is 120 credit hours. People say that if you'll spend three hours out of class for every one hour in class, that's four hours out of the 120, that's 480 hours. In under 500 hours investment of your time, you can walk away with a better degree, which should translate into a better job, which should translate into better income. So you can spend your 500 hours doing that, or you can spend that same amount of time on your phone. Come on. What I'm trying to tell you is, is we've been given time and moments are passing us by, minute, minutes are passing us by, like time is flying. Time flies, but you're the pilot. You can't stop time, but you can steer time. And so we got to make a decision. God, with all the minutes coming my way, will you help me? Will you help me? Will you teach me to number my days? Will you help me to see what it is that I need to do? And so I got this just a little illustration up here. Here are some categories that we spend time. Entertainment. Things like Netflix, our relationship with God, time with our spouse, time on our phone, time with our kids, time doing things around the house, sleep, and work. I know there's more categories than this, but this pretty much captures where we place Every one of us, every day, we get 1,440 minutes, and we get to decide where we put them. Where do we spend our minutes? Now, let's just be honest. Everybody in this room needs rest. It's not really an option. People will tell us that as you get older, you need less sleep, but at least right now, on average, the average person, in order to operate their life at maximum efficiency, probably needs eight hours of sleep a day. So out of your 1,440 minutes that you get every day, we spend, I spend, you spend one-third of them on sleep. Every marble is a minute. One-third of your day is gone. I know we all work different hours. Some of you work eight, nine, ten hours. On average, not including travel time, we spend another third of our day, 1,440 minutes. We spend a third of them, eight hours a day at work. Every marble is one minute. So after you got your rest and after you went to work, you're not left with much. And so we got to decide where we're going to put it. So I left an hour, an hour a day to take care of your house, mow your lawn, do your laundry, cook your meals. It takes time. So 60 minutes, 60 marbles out of every day. Phone. 
I didn't put 5.4 hours that I found in all the studies. I just put three hours because while some of us use it for business, let's be honest, all of us in this room waste time on the phone. Three hours, 360 of the 1,440 minutes every day is lost to a phone. Kids, we love our kids, and we got to run them to place. We got to take them to school. We get to go to cheerleading events, and we get to go to soccer games. And that's only 60, 60 minutes out of every day investing in kids that are going to carry this world to the next generation. Entertainment. more. Spouse, the second most important relationship in your life. After we spend a third of our time working, a third of our time sleeping, a little bit of home time at home doing chores and hanging out with our kids and wasting time on our phone and watching Netflix and Hulu and 30. See, I tried to decide as I was putting this illustration together, like we get 1,440. I can't change that. How do we really divvy that up? And after I said, we got that, and we got to do that, and this is what stats say we do, this is all I have left. A lot of you, you get to the end of your day, and you don't have much time left. And so if you're lucky, <laughs> 30 minutes with your spouse. And I think one of the saddest of all is that all that's left is 15 minutes with the creator of the universe. So what I want to tell you is this. You have 1,440 minutes, every one of us, and you get to decide the privilege of where they go. And with the wisdom of God, he will show us. And here's what I want you to know is, is you got to decide this. We need to invest most of our time in the things that matter most. So while entertainment is good, what would happen if we stopped over-investing in things that under return and we said, you know what, I'm not going to spend so much time on Netflix. I'm going to spend a little bit more time. I'm going to take some minutes and I'm going to invest it in my spouse because my marriage is more important than Breaking Bad or Ozark. Y'all ain't got to clap. It's all right. What would happen, like eight hours, I need eight hours, everybody likes sleeping. What would happen instead of trying to find time at the end of the day when I'm wore out and I'm tired and I'm ready for bed, what would happen if I woke up just 15 minutes early? If I only got 7.45 and I said, I'm going to spend a little extra time with God. What I'm telling you is they're your minutes to do with what you want. The problem is this, everybody hear this, you can have anything you want, you just can't have everything you want. If you want a great relationship with your spouse, you can't have a great relationship and have a great golf score and have a great career and have a great education and be caught up on all the shows on Netflix. And no, you can't do it all. You get to decide where you invest the time. And if you'll invest your time strategically, you will maximize and you will mine out the moments and minutes and you will have the life that God created you for. But you got to decide, and I'm on the medal because I'm almost done. You got to decide, do you want your kids in cleats or do you want your kids in Christ? 
because increasingly people are pulling their kids out of church for travel ball, travel soccer, travel basketball, travel cheerleading, and there's nothing wrong with any of those sports. Go ahead and do it. But I'm just telling you, you got to decide where do you want to invest. And for me, I'm going to invest most of my time in the things that matter most. And while my kid plays basketball and he does travel basketball, he has never been on a travel team that plays on Sunday because I don't care if you're the best player on the team. I don't care if you get a full scholarship. I don't care if you show up in the NBA. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire with all the stats on the wall. If you die without Christ, you lost. So for me, I'm just saying, you, you can put your minutes where you want them, but for me, I'm just real honest. I'm struggling this week. I'm like, Lord, I, I spend too much time on my phone, and I spend too much time on PlayStation, and I don't spend enough time with God. I don't spend enough time with my spouse. And so you got minutes, and so do I. And what would happen if we just took a few minutes and just reallocated them? And not once, but if we walk in it. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time for the days are evil. As you guys leave today, after I pray, there's just a jar. It's not magic. It's just a marble. But I want to challenge everybody in this room, just grab one. And just for the next week, just stick it in your pocket. And as you go through your day, just, just grab it. Reach in your pocket and just hold it for a second. What will you do? You got one marble. It represents one minute. Maybe instead of sending one more goofy gift, send an encouraging text. Instead of logging on Facebook just for a second to see who liked your last post, make a phone call and speak life over somebody. How can you reallocate one minute out of your day to get the moment God created you to have? How many people in this room need to be a little more wise with their time like I do? So, Lord, I pray like Moses, Lord, teach us to number our days that we can have a heart of wisdom. Help us to walk circumspectly. Help us to have the big picture so we can redeem time and so we can experience your purpose. I pray speak to every heart uniquely in the way that we need to reallocate the time that we're losing to invest it in the moments we need to make. In Jesus' name, amen.